This is Sage Talking. If your brain is ready to soak up some natural, informative, and no BS knowledge, then you're in the right place. Join me in talks about nature, people, health, sustainable businesses, and everything in between. You won't miss out on the occasional politics and interviews with ecopreneurs either. P.S. I want to know what you want to know. So send in questions or topic requests on my IG at thrive underscore by nature. Hey, and thank you for being here. My name is Michelle Magdalena Maddox. I am a photographer and a journalist and an activist. And if I had to describe myself in three words, I would say passionate, productive, and positive. Pa, 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 pa. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Sage Talking. Today, my guest is Michelle Magdalena Maddox, who is the founder of Magdalena Magazine, formerly known as Bohipsian Journal. Today, she's sharing parts of her story with us about the path that led her to storytelling, activism, and the connection she has with Earth and people today. Now, if you're somebody who's working on a passion project right now, this might be the episode for you because Michelle also shares the hardships downfalls the love the uphills the elation that comes with bringing a passion project like that to life where you invest your blood sweat and tears into so maybe this will be a source of inspiration i hope you enjoyed this episode and also check out the links down below to know how you can order the newest issue from magdalena magazine and how you can get in contact with michelle if this is something that calls to you thank you for listening I'm actually in Big Sur, which I feel is such a, a special place to talk to you from. Oh, where, where is it? Why, um, why is it special? Well, Big Sur is this, is this region um, close to my home, and it's very wild and beautiful, and um, it's a place where I have dear community, and I can come and retreat into nature. There's no streets it, I'm just like, I'm, I'm overlooking mountains and the ocean and it's really the redwoods and it's really, um, it's a special place. And, and this particular location looks on these mountain ranges that are like known from the indigenous people of this land, the Esalen tribe, um, to be like the window through which our ancestors pass that we pass when we come into this world and that they pass out of when they Oh, that's beautiful. I think I think it's also so wonderful if you're in different places or if you're traveling somewhere as well to just look up where you're going to see who has come before you, to see who the original um, people or the First Nations people or the ancestors of that land that you're going to, um, who they are, what they lived like. So I think it gives you a very different perspective and, and kind of a deeper connection because, I mean, every place you go to has such a long and rich history. So that's really wonderful that you as well, that you know where you are. You know, you really know where you are and what the history is. And it's not just a place, you know, people travel so much nowadays, but sometimes don't really know you know where they're going right it's 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 not just like oh this is the restaurant or this is the the location where i have to take my selfie it's like 
how was life before? How did they survive? And what was their connection to the land that sustained them? And there's actually a beautiful quote um, in the next issue of the journal by this um, a Diné Navajo uh, uh, artist and activist, Lila June. And she says that um, it's, it's customary, or it was in North America, Turtle Island from their indigenous creation story to follow the customs and spirituality of the people of the land where you're visiting as a way to not only show respect, but to understand that those people had a way of connecting to the spirit world and to the land that was informed by the land and um, is like a guide to connection. So you brought Magdalena magazine to life and on your website. I love that um, because I read the description and it's being described as a published print journal with corresponding online media, which weaves together voices of innovative change makers, inspiring artists and moving reminders of the human spirit, giving grassroots movements, a printed and online platform to support important causes and it also includes interconnectedness to one another in nature. And I love that so much. So tell us about the magazine. How and why did you start it? What is the purpose? It is a beautiful story. And it started long ago. I think I was probably 17 when my father um, was diagnosed with cancer. And I was very, I'm, I'm a Leo and I have like Mars in like next to my Leo. So I have this very passionate, powerful, um, and sometimes, you know, warlike approach to my feelings, which, um, I'm working on, but, um, I just went to the doctors and I said, why, it, why does my father have cancer? Like, why do we, why do our bodies experience this? You know, what's, what's the root of it? And the doctor said, uh, well, it's your genetics, which we can't change who we are and our ancestry, but also their environment. That was the, really the beginning of me understanding that our relationship to our environment is key to our health and our survival. And, um, and it's the one thing that we do have control over. In, in some cases, like we can control, uh, you know, what ourselves in a room with with toxic chemicals or um, we make purchases or decisions that further increase the toxification of our environment um, and affect us in the long term we don't really know what so many of the the decisions that we make you know the chemicals we use in our household materials the plastic that is breaking down in our environment and becoming a part of our food sources and water sources we don't know what that effect will have on us, but I'm guessing that after, you know, tens of thousands of millions of years or whatever of humans being on the planet that, you know, that where cancer has not existed as long, that it's these modern, you know, toxins that really are a detriment to health of the entire planet. And that's a really scary thought to think about that, you know, that kind of so many even everyday products like as you said plastic I mean plastic is everywhere even if mm. if you have you know if you go grocery shopping and um, when you get um, 
your receipt, you know, it's coded in BPA, which I think is the most chemical, like in the plastic coatings, it's the like the most toxic one. And even just oh. touching that you shouldn't even touch it. And that's so scary. I mean, a tea bag, a regular tea bag, pouring hot water on it, and then your tea is full of 10,000s of particles of microplastics like there's it's really crazy how all these things are integrated into our everyday life and that's why we have kind of an epidemic of cancer as well oh my god I didn't know about the tea bags yeah <laughs> going back to loose leaf yeah I mean Definitely. It's, it's insane and very difficult to avoid at times but um I just it, that was sort of the beginning of me really wanting to be in defense of nature and um, to, to, to tell stories that are in support of those who are defending and protecting nature, which in the, in the case of where I live, a lot of times it's indigenous people. And I also want to give them, uh, of, you know, as much support as I possibly can. And if I don't have a way to contribute financially, I contribute with my time and with my photographs and my stories. So that's, that was sort of something that always was a part of my, my work as a photographer personal work. Um, and I started out as a photographer and I, I mean, I documented my father's battle with cancer that ended in his passing. And that was just, um, that was like my first documentary project and which I still have not even really shared publicly. Um, but I also went to Fukushima just to, I think in July of 2011, it was Fukushima happened in March. So it was just a few months after um, the tsunami and the, the flooding and um, the destruction. I was there um, as part of a performance art piece. A friend of mine was producing a play about the Cambodian genocide in Japan in Japanese with um, some of her friends from San Francisco State, who are Japanese. So we had a chance to produce a little show in Tokyo and went over there. And I was documenting and also wanted to go to Fukushima to document. And what I did is I wrote down, I had a friend write in Japanese, um, how do you feel about the use of nuclear energy? I brought paper and pens and I would meet people and I would ask them, to write down in kanji how they feel about it. And then I would take their portrait with them holding their sign and then have a friend translate it afterwards. Some people really trusted the government to do the right thing. That was mostly the pot, anybody who was positive, who was like really trusting of the government, um, which I thought was so interesting that they were just like, Oh, I don't care. I think it's fine. They were like, I trust the government like specifically. Um, and then the other, half was like, you know, I'm worried about future generations. I'm worried about the children. I'm, I'm worried about, um, yeah, like what nuclear energy will do to us. So I was doing projects like this um, and always thinking, you know, I'd love to be um, in print and um, making a magazine. And I, like in 2010, I made a little mock-up the first issue was called The Canary, like the canary in the coal mine. And, you know, it was really just like maybe 10 pages or something. But it was the first time I did a mock-up. And I think it's, it's very important for the creative process just to like, you know, do what you feel, even if 
it feels impossible. And the idea of making a magazine always felt impossible to me, but I couldn't help but play, you know, and try to just like, oh, I would love to see my photograph on the cover of a magazine and this is what it would look like. And um, so I played around with that and I had a picture of a canary because my friend had canaries. Um, I think that was part of the inspiration. And then let's see. Oh, I actually had to, this is very personal. And, um, but I, I had, I was in a position where I felt I had to have an abortion in, in 2016. And, um, one of the things I did, I could barely f- support myself at that time. And I wasn't in a place where I felt I could rely on my family. Um, and so I did, I made that very hard choice. I thought I would never do that. I thought I would like always have a baby, even if I, even if I got raped, you know, I was never against, I was always against it. And, um, you know, not like a pro life in a pro-life way, but in a, like, just in the way that I felt and for this preciousness of life. And I, I, I still really have a hard time with it, but the re- you know, one of the reasons that I, I was like that I, I I knew that I needed to create a more support for myself and it gave, and it, it gave me really the courage to like put, go forward and commit to doing the magazine. So the first issue of my of a printed magazine that I did was called Bohipsian and it was a word that I came up with um means bohemian and hippie and gypsy and it was, you know, it's about like being a lover of the earth and being a traveler and um, being connected to nature and spirit. And um, the first issue was uh, crowdfunded and it took maybe two years, two or three years to put together. And um, it was hard, you know, like I definitely go through these times of being like, I, I don't know if I can do this. It's very difficult you know, the challenges. I I had interviewed my first issue, interviewed an indigenous artist who was like about to get canceled in the Me Too movement. And he was like one of my biggest stories. And I ended up, you know, of course not putting him on the cover and he never publicized the journal and I never publicized him because by the time I printed, he was like getting canceled, which is very controversial especially to the, to the community of indigenous women who felt very betrayed by him for his, you know, and this is just, this is the, such our times too, you know, like calling out. It's, that's a very difficult part of speaking at all these days is like the fear of, you know, someone uh, telling you you're wrong or uh, all of this stuff. But for the most part, I felt it was really important to tell his story because he was a man who was admitting that he was wrong. I mean, for, for the, for not for the most part, I think that there's always more that he could have uh, admitted to, or that he was called out upon that was harder and maybe more private. But um, I thought it's very important at this time for like, evolution of humanity for us to admit when we're wrong. And, um, he kind of almost became famous at admitting he was wrong in some ways and um, being very vulnerable about, you know, his shadow and, and things like that. And um, anyways, that was a big part of the journey for the first issue. In some ways I thought that, oh, this is going to be the way that I'll get a lot of 
I'll, you know, create a following to sell the magazine and raise the funds to do it. But um, he actually ended up really never uh, sharing about the magazine, but it, it succeeded anyways. We printed a thousand copies and sold out um, and broke even, which was really, really amazing. It's, it's so much hard work that goes into something like that, which I think often people don't realize because especially with social media and on Instagram, people always show snippets and every project that comes to life is you know at some point announced or released and then it's there you know you don't often see the hard work the time the funding mm -hmm. the blood sweat and tears that went into it and it's so I mean something that you're doing I mean it's it's just another form of really activism and trying to help amplify those most important voices because i mean indigenous voices the voices of nature there is nothing more important on this earth than something like your magazine it's so i mean everybody has their fights to fight in life and everybody has their struggles and hardships and hopefully you know you will get a lot out of it and I'm sure you do but it's just sometimes so hard to see that people who are doing this genuine loving work that is so important is that that in this world you have to struggle most you know to bring these projects alive because they just don't fit into this economy or the status quo, you know, for other things, mm -hmm. it would be a lot easier to get support or funding uh, and get it out there. But something like this, um, you know, probably in the eye of this system that we have doesn't have value to this economy, because it's quite, quite the contrary, actually, it says, you know, um, let's amplify those voices that don't fit into the system so it's it's really important work that you're doing and just you know from everybody I would say thank you you know for doing that because it takes so much hard work oh I'm tearing up over here <laughs> thank you um it's really sweet to get acknowledged because it is very challenging and you know it's really like I just can't I can't not do it though like yeah my my heart is so and You know, even if I get really worn out and exhausted, I'm really learning to, to like roll with the punches and be like, oh, oh, here I am getting knocked down, you know, this door's closed or whatever. And I'm just like, well, just go to another door, you know. I'm not taking it as personally as I did in the beginning, which is good. And But, but the challenges are getting harder for paper, for example, is, you know, the paper is so sacred and because it comes from trees and like... <laughs> I'm very, you know, this, this next issue, I actually talk about the destruction of the old growth forests in Canada, which was a, a big topic of conversation during the pandemic with the, the fight of the Pachidat nation, or I don't know, it's really the whole nation, but um, activists in Canada fighting against this lumber company that was cutting, cutting down some of the oldest trees in the world. Yeah, I know. I saw you know? that that broke my heart. I really, and so many of these forest workers, they were standing next to the trucks with these, where only one tree fit on it because they were so wide and long and massive and so, you know, full yeah. of all these years of, of life and giving life. And, and, you know, and they even said some of these 
workers for the timber timber company they recorded that those trucks with those huge massive trees on them and said this is not necessary you know they said you know yeah i'm employed here but i can tell yeah. you that this is not necessary to cut down these trees and that is really one of those moments where you can really if you just have an ounce of connection and an ounce of you know connection to nature and you where you can break down and lose really all faith in humanity yeah i mean these guys you know they they're just also trying to survive and it's you know it's interestingly enough through all my research it's it's really truly just corruption um and greed it's just such an evil in this in this field because um these trees you know the Teal Jones company that is lumbering, that is cutting down these trees, they are certified. They're certified. Get almost any paper product and it's like, oh, it's FCS certified. That means it's sustainable. I feel so good about it now. Well, those, that certification certifies this lumber company and they cut down those trees. So what really does that certification mean? And I dug into it and before Till Jones completely changed the website because of all the attention they were getting, they had links and names to the people that were that they were using as resources for these certificates. Those people up, and they will. This man, I forget his name now, but um, uh, he he said that he was from Yale University. So I called Yale University. Well, Yale University said he is not an affiliate professor. He, they don't, they, he hasn't been working there for years. He actually created a school in Singapore, called it Yale. Oh my God, I can't believe that. And international policies that are now this like, sustain, like standard for sustainability that we think has any legitimacy, but it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. And, and so, Oh, I was so fired up and pissed off, and I was trying to get interviews with him. I um, calling him and his secretary and and Yale and professors that used to know. And just like I couldn't get a hold of him, and and then Teal Jones changed their website and took his name off and said that they're in alliance and giving money and resources to Pachadot Nation and greenwashing their entire campaign and. The information that we get, you know, that's the other thing is like, I mean, I wasn't trained as a journalist, but I'm trying my best to give information that is something that's a little bit more grounded in the heart and in protection of the land and solidarity for the land and our planet and not necessarily, you know, like, I would love to make a profit, but I don't need to. It would be great if this just pays for itself. And right now that's kind of the course it's on, you know, and I'm lucky enough to have a career that supports me um but this is still my passion project and and you know not wanting to be in the next issue Nat Kelly is such such an honor and we're on the same page as far as you know what we want to take a stand for and we're trying to approach these conversations in a soft way I think that you know doesn't cast more fear but possibility in a different way that things could be and this idea of regenerating the earth you know sustainability is not enough we can't just sustain anymore we have to give back and you know our ancestors and previous generations always gave back 
with our, you know, the way that we were in relationship with the land was always reciprocal. And, and we've just been living in a, a century of extraction. And, you know, I, but I really believe that we will come across and this awareness will grow and the next generation will inherit this land and take better care. And, and I do have hope, you know, and I'm a part of that and you're a part of that. And, and, um, it's so important to feel empowered by the choices that we make and the actions yeah. that we take. And you know, we are alive and well, just like the Esplan people say, like, we're not extinct. We are, we are here. We are on this land and we are in connection with this land and we're all beacons of, of that connection and, and know that we're, you know, loved and taken care of and that we'll be okay. And I think it's so important, um, you know, what you said that our ancestors and, you know, humans have been alive for thousands and ten thousands of years and you know we have in a such short amount of time uh completely altered this relationship that most of us have with earth and the planet and as you said reciprocity is one of the most important things and our ancestors had no choice we had in the last few decades this um way of masking um all this exploitation of, of land and people and um, depleting the earth uh, kind of by you, the use of technology and just adding, adding things on top and altering things in a way. But that obviously, as we can see, only works an incredibly short amount of time until it's reached its capacity and there is nothing more to take. And reciprocity is going to be so important and that's obviously also teachings from indigenous people that we really can learn so much from. And as you talked about, uh, Natalie Kelly, I'm sure most people know her as an actress from Beauty and the Baker. But I have to say for myself, I really don't when I think of her associate uh, her with that at all. Um, because for me, like, I think I started following her like, three years ago and in that time I was lucky to watch her transformation kind of because in the last Ooh. few years she's undergone this incredible transformation and kind of reconnected to her roots and uh, through social media she it, other people were able to see that and I guess be inspired by it and follow her journey which you know is one of the great things Uh, about social media if it's used in that way so yeah I saw that cover and it was so so beautiful and um, she I think is really using her voice right now in such um, an incredible way because she has a platform she has this possibility you know there are so many people out there who have so many important things to say but they don't have a platform like that to do that um, so yeah, this issue um, on the cover where she was on, did you do an interview or, or a story with her? What was it about? Well, um, actually this, this cover story with Nat Kelly is, is the feature story for the next issue. So it hasn't come out yet. It's, um, it's in pre-sales. And so, um, it's, it's really, well, it's, it's about a lot of things. We talk about her transformation, We talk about her connection to her indigenous roots and um, her passion for um, for for fashion, for um, ecology, for food and land and soil and regeneration. Um, and 
we the the photos we did were in on Chumash territory in, in Southern California, um, in a town called Ojai, where I lived last year. Um, and this this land is out towards the river in Ojai, and um, we used like uh, all either clothing that was already hers or what's on the cover. She's wearing Rian and Griego, who's a, um, a weaver in Ohio now lives in um, New Mexico. And we used like sweaters that were made in Peru um, and like, you know, uh, sustainably like made and um, that support, you know, women and artisans and farmers uh, in uh in Peru with the brand called Tejito, which is uh, my friend's company. Looking actually at us, I'm looking at it right now. I have just a few copies that are, um, that are samples of the magazine that I'm using money to, to do this. And this is the first issue where I'm doing ads um, and sponsorships. The price of paper has tripled. So like before I had $11,000 and now to use 100% recycled paper, which is what is integrity with what I believe in. I was quoted at $38,000 just to give you an idea for, yeah. for 2,000 copies of the magazine. Do you have so, a GoFundMe or like a crowdfunding link that I can put down below? Um, I will eventually. The, the thing is, is I'm trying to get a better printer. Mm -hmm. And I'm also trying to do sponsored ads. So the, um, the way that, I, you know, like, I will work backwards from a goal and I have to figure out what my goal is. And of course it's great to shoot high and like anything that falls in falls in. But you know, with Kickstarter, if you don't, which is the platform I used before, if you don't make your goal, you don't get any of it. So I want to be very, you know, very exact about what exactly I need. Yeah. Um, anybody does want to be a part of it. They can, they can definitely um, connect. How you introduced Nat is really how the story comes across and it just gets into detail and she says in her own words. She's also interviewed by Tansy Kaishak, who's a, um, a sustainable fashion editor. I'll give you a quote from her interview. We are born in this world that is already millennia deep into exploitation and hundreds of years of capitalism. I think this is also, as I said before, what you're doing is also a form of, you know, activism and you trying to give back to earth and nature and communities um, in a way by just, you know, raising these issues, giving them a voice. And so what is it that personally activism means to you? What is maybe your story with activism and how do you live it now? Activism to me is, is a very personal thing. And I think social media is distorted in a way because we all kind of like get, you know, up in arms about certain issues. But for me, my original, you know, under understanding of activism from my own heart before I knew what activism was when I was just following my heart and doing what I felt was right it always came from from my connection to the earth and really feeling I always felt like I could I could hear like I could hear mother earth like weeping I yeah. remember I was at the ocean and I was just like I just felt this deep sadness um, and disrespect, I think, um, just started being in connection with that and protecting that and, you know, 
fought again. Uh, you know, I say I don't like to use the word fought, but I stood up for the waters when our local community started fracking for oil upstream from our water source that feeds all of the nation in Salinas Valley, you know, and then Fukushima and the cancer and the environment. Like it was always, it was always like from my gut and, um, and making sure I stand up for what I, what I know to be true in humanity. And I think it's really important that, you know, I stay connected to that and we all find our own connection, um, to what we know and feel is right and not be afraid of standing up for that and um, learning more about that we feel are important because those are parts of our humanity that are so, so key to what humanity really means and so kind of far off from what the socialized networks of media have us focused on and distracted towards thinking and feeling and wanting and needing. I don't think I've ever been more depressed than I have been during COVID and stuck on my device and indoors or whatever, you know, and not just on the ground smelling the soil and, and the, the different plants that exist around us. Like we're not alone. We're not just humans like like on a blank canvas we are part very much interwoven with with nature and and we're we're a product of that the activist community as you could say is very much into protecting indigenous peoples in south america um in north america and africa um and and everywhere that there still are indigenous people because they they are that really raw connection to earth and they have a, have this freedom of time because they live in reciprocity and they don't overextend themselves with, you know, debt and credit and, and, and more needs. Um, but there's also innovation in that space. But we have to respect and protect them, not only because they protect nature, but because they protect freedom and the true meaning of, of what it is to be like just a pure, like a pure human spirit unattached from you know like governments and societies in, in in the way that we are as westerners colonized you know yeah they're not colonized by by greed and and you know we have to protect them for so many more reasons than we even know we have to it protects a part of our understanding them and feeling for them freedom really means what nature the power of nature you know what it means to be human in in such a way um that sometimes we experience maybe when we're traveling and away from our lives and just in touch with time and and space in a different way you know yeah um, i can just say yeah. yes to everything you just said and i think especially um you know there are many people who don't understand or don't even want to understand anything about the importance um or who really know so little about the indigenous communities that still you know live on this planet and protect 80% of this earth's biodiversity and in turn protect every single one of us no matter where we live, no matter who we are, no matter how much mm. or a little money we have, um, they protect all of us and they protect, you know, nature and um, 
are constantly in this fight, constantly being marginalized, constantly being kept out from making any types of decisions and kept out mm. from or or even sometimes having their autonomy taken because there's so many um you know incredible forces at work that as you said are ruled so much by greed and such so could you express or show us a little bit of an image um, that you would envision of earth if you could restructure or reimagine this world now like in terms of society governance community if you could see you know earth in a different way that is maybe not too unrealistic where you know something that could be doable but is just you know grand something where you close your eyes and think ah oh, this is a different world how would you imagine it This is such a great question. And so I just have to say that I did a, um, a community talk with this, uh, this organization uh, that Nat was on the, on the board for, and she asked us the same question. So I love doing this. I think it's a great practice. I would say I live in a really privileged reality where I, I, I live in one of the most beautiful places in the world. And in my community, we have things that are, that are kind of, you know, normalized, but also, I mean, you could even say fetishized as like being like, so, you know, exclusive in a way, but it should be something that's available to everyone. Local food sources, seasonal foods, um, and gifts from the local economy and exchange and artisans. And like, this is where, this is where like, um, it becomes very clear of like, the industrialized greed complex like taking over and trying to like mono you know crop the world in in just having these you know like amazon for example just like having exclusivity but it's really local economies local communities being able to sustain themselves where people how can can grow their own wealth in doing what they love to do and having that be reciprocated and appreciated and and exchange within the localized community that would eliminate so much of the massive production that takes place in the fashion industry and in the food industry, you know, all of those things, can, if they get localized, they can also be cared for um, with more attention um, and more reciprocity than they can be in, in, um, in a massive exploitative way that things can tend to be produced to, to deal with the masses. So I, totally boycott Amazon. I have nothing to do with them. And I really support local things, local artists, local makers. And um, I think that's, that's one of the best things we can do to grow our grow and strengthen and support our own community. So if I were to look forward into the world, you know, and it already is sort of very much the world that I feel I get to live in where I travel from place to place. I, I see, I cultivate and I support those local, the local communities. And, you know, like sometimes I imagine like what it was like to go, you know, to Paris a hundred years ago and to experience that, you know, like the, the artisans, the makers, you know, that's where the treasures are. And that's one of the things that I think Nat and I really agree on is like this idea of like when you buy things, imagine having them it's having them forever you know and like 
not being so wasteful and buying things and expecting them to just become, you know, unnecessary or having things and having, having them be our treasures. And that includes people too, you know, treasuring our, our things and our people and, and not being wasteful. And um, I really see us moving in that direction. Yeah, from local community. And as you said, the, it's really something that sadly is if you want to buy local food that is not sprayed with a thousand pesticides not genetically modified um is really that what is would be deemed you know very privileged and you have to have a certain amount of money to be able to make that a normal way of you know if that is what you're shopping primarily otherwise it's a real luxury whereas you know every land Every country has its own foods, has its own ground, has its own soil that brings out different um, different produce, different plants. And I mean, the thing is, as you said before, you know, that is something that is kind of fetishized and seen as very, you know, privileged. And you could probably go to most countries nowadays or to a lot of European countries or also um Yeah, imagine I could go to Greece, stay there for a month and not eat one local food, probably. If I was on the mainland and shopped in the grocery store, you can get, mm. you know, most tags, the oranges, the apples, they should say in Germany, well, that it wouldn't be oranges because just in Germany, we don't grow oranges. You know, it should say above <laughs> the apples, above the salad, it should be saying, you know, Germany and not Italy or sometimes even New Zealand. Imagine that. We have mm -hmm. apples in Germany, like that. everybody can grow apples and we get them from New Zealand. Like that is so crazy. Yeah. And that is just the world <laughs> we live in. And that definitely has to change. So As you do, I also envision a world where, you know, we have local food sources where there are orchards, um, you know, public orchards where people can go to and pick their food, where people can compost, where there's, as you said, no, no waste. You know, there's actually so much that we produce and so little that we would actually have to waste if we little to nothing if we you know paid attention to what we have and shared it or reused mm -hmm. it or repaired it and you know mm -hmm. as you said treating something as a treasure there you know you can have a, a sweater and like an alpaca knit sweater my friend just uh went to ecuador and she bought a sweater like that and that she could have you know, for the rest of your life, her life, the quality is incredible. It's warm and it's, it's from a special place. It's from like a community. Um, I think uh, there, she also brought me like a bracelet and it was made um, by an Inca woman. And, um, you know, those are things that you never ever have to throw away. And even just thinking about it, you know, throwing that on one of those huge piles of landfill or that getting, you know, burnt is just, there's there's no need for that, really. So, um, yeah, that's definitely a world that um, I hope that we will get to see. And as you said, the wonderful thing is 
all of those things already do exist in some places. They're just not the norm. It's exactly what you said. Because you already said you live in a community um, that is for you very special and where you're seeing some things already that you would like to be the norm, um, like local mm -hmm. foods, local artisans. What exactly does your community look like? Like, is it tight-knit in your neighborhood? How would you, on a regular day, you know, if you walk maybe to work or if you go to work, can you get around by, by bike, by foot? Are there farmers markets? What does your community look like? Um, how are kind of the emotions and lifestyles? How is the atmosphere? Um, how's it kind of lining up with what you would want to see in the future? I can walk to the farmer's market and the grocery store and the doctor and from my house, which is great. I can walk um, to the beach where I like to, you know, take my walks and swim. And um, But one of, the, one of the things that I felt I wanted to communicate is that, like, in some of like the best restaurants that you can go to, it's really about seasonality. There's this, you know, like the, the thing about seasonality is when you have something that's regional, regional and seasonal, you experience it at, at the height of its, of its vitality because it's, it's naturally occurring. Um, and so it's, it's more delicious and wonderful than ever. And, you know, like you said, it's not something that needed to be shipped from the other side of the planet because, you know, people just want it now. But it's something, it, it, it promotes so much creativity. I happen to have a, a friend who loves to go out to eat and, and treats me all the time. So we went to the Big Sur Bakery last night and had, you know, like a lovely salad with like kumquats because kumquats are, this, it's a small orange that you can eat the skin of. Um... And it was in the salad, you know, and these are all things that that are growing here and now and they make their own cheese. And um, and it's it seems like such a thing that is like limited to the few, but you could also get a fishing license and go out and catch your own fish or wild harvest your own metals from from the river, you know, and like and that creates this amazing connection to the land where you are that is just super um anybody's right of course if you have the time and the intention to do that sort of thing but that's what like what I'm seeing in my community is something that some people do and and some people don't but um is really a, a beautiful connection that is very human and natural so in a way It's sort of like rewilding ourselves is a, is a term that I hear and love um, to be in like radical connection with land to know what what is it that is special about this region. I am pretty sure there are going to be people who haven't gotten to the end of this because it's, you know, it's like a slower talk. It's some People today, they like, you know, quick and they like information and that is very condensed. And anybody who is still here there, I'm sure some people listen to these talks, you know, talking about the stars and, um, you know, food and plants. For some people, it's still... <laughs> 
you know, very、um, kind of what people call, you know, hippie, eco, like something alternative. But this is really, I, I thank you so much, you know, for being here and for having this talk with me and sharing, you know, your thoughts and also your personal stories because this is just really what I want to stress is why I have. The sentence or like the words reconnection of humans and nature in my bio is because for me, I mean, I know that I am far from how connected I want to be, and that's something I, I'm always working on. But for anybody who's listening to this and says, maybe, you know, this is not my cup of tea, this is not my thing, this is too whatever for me, this this connection, you know, this connection to each other, this connection to the land, this connection, and this stillness, as you said, you know, closing the eyes, removing stimuli, removing. Also, technology for a time, looking inwards, being still, being in darkness, being with yourself, and then going outside into your community, sitting sitting in the grass, just listening to birds, listening to nothing or to the wind, whatever it is. This connection is going to be one of the most important things for us, you know, to help heal this planet and to help really heal all of this damage that. We've done, and this connection is going to be so important. I think that's something that is often neglected in many of these conversations that are so much about reducing emissions and about more sustainability in business and about, you know, sustainable guidelines and frameworks and whatever it is. It's really also this connection and being aware that this connection is something that is. Even if it's buried, buried really deep, it is in each and every one of us. And I, I really want this to be a call, like to everybody, to say, okay, even if this is really new and foreign or maybe uncomfortable to me, you know, just look for it for a few minutes. Just see if you can find something there and connect to it. You know, and this is something that is so beautiful because it's within anybody, no matter who you are or no matter how far you think that you are removed from nature or this or this connection. And this is so. I'm really thankful. You know that you um shared also all of your thoughts and your wisdom and your story today. Thank you everybody for listening in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to follow the podcast and leave a review. Share with friends and family. Also, don't forget if you want to order the latest issue of the magazine, you can click down below. And also, if you feel called to support Michelle's quest in telling these stories and bringing them to life in print, you can click down below to connect to her. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. Have a great rest of your day.